Hi everyone, welcome to TIQ TV for another episode. Today I am very grateful to be joined by a very distinguished uh, gentleman, Mr. Robert Katz. Robert, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing, I'm doing well. Thank you so much Sam, for having me here. Good stuff. We managed to get over our technical, uh, technical issues on both sides where we're just saying the joys of not uh, having to get into a car, but rather than sitting down, having a chat and then going into the meeting, all of this preparation has to be done. But we got there in the end. Delighted to, uh, to have you on. Um, are you well? How was your week? Yeah, I'm, do I'm, I'm doing fine. I'm doing really fine. As we just discussed about the car and ACs breaking down, then yeah, you have some challenges, but in general, I'm doing well. Good. I'm healthy. I, I'm vaccinated. The first dose is in there. So yeah, we're doing Likewise. good. Likewise. Good to hear. Good to hear. And it's been a bit, another busy week in Qatar. Goodness knows where the days are going and, and where the weeks are going. Um, tell us a bit about yourself and, and what are you up to at the moment? Sure, sure. So um, just, just to give, me, uh, give you a bit of my background, I hail from the Netherlands and uh, I came to Qatar in 2015. But before that, actually, I built my career in, in business now for about 34 years. And um, I started my business actually back in 1987 was was still doing my exam for high school and already built my own business in the security industry, um, which I built basically with one of my brothers. I'm the youngest of eight. So I come from a pretty large family. Youngest and, um, the youngest of eight. The youngest of eight. Oh. Yep. <laughs> this is the old traditional combination between Indonesian and Dutch families, you know. Um, but yeah, I'm a, and I, I've always been a happy child, and, and I think I can say the same for my brothers and sisters. Um, so and, and very ambitious as well. So when I uh, when I established my business in '87, I did my exam successfully and uh, carried on together with one of my brothers. Uh, but after about three years or so, we found out that you know you better be family and and in you know in good terms than doing business together and not really knowing who's doing what. So being the youngest and still having uh, more opportunities than the oldest, I thought, you know, I step out and find my other way somewhere else. Um, and my brother continued to business. So I started at that time to really work for a employer. Um, I, I was um, offered to, to help building a new car lease company, the first actually one in the Netherlands for the largest Volkswagen and Audi dealer um, in the Netherlands. And that was done successfully. We, um, we run that uh, lease company for about four years. And um, then I was approached by a hat hunting company, having apparently uh, monitored what I was doing for a few months. And they offered me a position as sales director for a company in technical design supplies and office stationery for the oil and gas companies, construction companies and shipyards in the, in the Netherlands. For me, a completely new industry, um, new sectors, but very interesting. And then as I said, I was ambitious. So I wanted to explore other opportunities and moved into that direction. Uh, again, uh, I've always been quite fortunate that whatever I did was uh, went well, obviously with good people around me and a good support. And in the meantime, I started my night studies, uh, night school um, doing the um, University for Applied Science in economics and statistics, uh, which I've done successfully. Meanwhile, um, you know, being ambitious, having worked for an employer, but started off being self-employed with my own company, uh, again, that, that triggered me. Um, and four years later in 2001, I decided again to establish my own company in a consultancy, 
um, noticing that people enjoy being advised and, and, and get some consultancy from, from my end. So um, let me just, to the let consultancy me just branch. In, let me just cut in there for yes. a second. Robert. So talking about, talking about the consultancy side, that's pretty much when mm -hmm. your entrepreneurial journey started. What, what was it that yeah. encouraged you to go and open your own business and start talking to people and advising people? Was it the, the general nature of networking? Was it people were constantly looking for your opinion and appreciating your opinion and you then wanted to basically turn that into uh, a focus? I, th I think what you said just, uh, Simon, the first one, it's more being an entrepreneur and finding more opportunities um, a, a broader field than just being in, in a company and in those sectors that they are focusing on. My interest was far um, you know, beyond that. And, and I wanted to really explore different industries, different sectors, not necessarily that people were waiting for my advice or, you know, and, and, and looking for, for any direction that I was given, but those things just came together. And I noticed during the time that I was employed that every time I tried to sell something, um, the, the consultancy side advising took more the overhand than the, the product itself. And at the end of the day, that, that really attracted me. Besides that, you, you know, experience sorry? That you have. It's the experience yeah. that you have that you're then able to demonstrate to people. And, and as you say, as long as the product stands up or the service stands up and goes exactly. hand in hand, people tend to buy from people um, more often than the product or as well as the product itself. And I think, do you think that's, exactly. do you think that's part of your natural ability to network and be able to converse in the business community? Yes. Yes, to be honest, I think that's right. Uh, networking has always been something, you know, that, that is, that's been my second nature. I've always been, been able, and I enjoyed it as well, to bring people together. Um, already at young age, you know, when, when I saw people um, getting to know each other, they even happened in, 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 you know, at school, at the primary schools. New kids came on in the schools and, and they felt uncomfortable and they were still, you know, exploring what to do, where to go to. And I was one of the first, if not the first, child the kid that, that walked up to these newer newies and you know made them feel comfortable and and introduced them to others and, and made them be part of a team so yeah if you, if you look back to that i think that's been always my my nature and to to use that as well um and and make money out of that basically in in business and something you like to do that's great isn't it and and if you look at it today it's still some it's it's my, my first nature to be honest i mean there's, there's less there's less opportunity at the moment and hopefully that's gonna gonna change um it's less opportunity to do that face to face that will come on to your networking and your business in qatar in a moment but sure. i i totally resonate with what you've just said about networking and being that that yep. room some some people in the room they're friends they're standing in closed groups of, of four some people are more welcoming they're in they're in open groups of, of three or five uh, and then there's people that haven't been to the networking event or that particular event or that group before that they're, they're standing on their own and they're waiting to be introduced and your analogy of the new yes. child in school or the new child in the playground i think is is very appropriate and I remember when I was, um, I'd always worked probably in more retail and, and business to consumer within, within my sales career until such time in 2001 when I went into oil and gas. And I do recall my director at the time, Herbie Martin, taking me to a networking event um, in which you were fed. And there was maybe a bit of wine and, you know, there was some conversation and business people. And, and I just turned to Herbie and said, 
this is this is unusual. You're you're taking me out to lunch. You're paying for lunch. You're introducing me to nearly 200 potential clients, and I get to have a glass of wine, which was always nice. And this is called work. I just thought this was <laughs> phenomenal. Networking events, yeah. networking in general. I just thought it was was brilliant. It was my first introduction. To <laughs> and if you're if you're that kind of person, which I think you and I are, you 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 embrace it. You know, you're you're always yeah. absolutely. Uh, always active in it which is which is great so you've obviously set up your business and, and over the course of the years uh you've been advising clients in various sectors having having done a, a bit of sort of um due diligence on your on your consultancy side you you look after an array of of sectors but what was it specifically that brought to brought you to our now home of when was that um, well, I, I ended up in 2000, soon after I established my company in 2001, um, I ended up in, in getting in touch with a company um, in the Nordics. Um, just, just to go one step back, um, I felt being, you know, having traveled throughout the Netherlands for my job in the sales and commercials, I, I ended up, you know, I, I felt this, this this is too small for me. I ended up to getting up to the boundaries of... of what, what the country had to offer me. So I was looking into the international arena and I ended up getting in touch with a, in a facilities management company in the Nordics, Aberdeen. They, they, they resided in Norway and they were looking for a facility manager in the Netherlands and, and Belgium. I actually, that was the first step for me to go into the international field, even though it was next door. Um, and again, going back to my, my uh, habit to, to help people, to introduce people, to please people in, in a certain way to serve them. Um, the facilities management industry is, is one of those industries where you, you're able to do that in, in, in a very broad way. So um, I found that facilities management attracted me so much that I kept on you know, uh, exploring further into that business. And soon after that, in 2004, um, I worked for an American company, Gil Global Facility Services, who asked me to become a EMEA facility management director for one of their clients, AT&T. And um, so, you know, I grabbed that with both hands because that gave me the opportunity to give, go even beyond Belgium. And suddenly I was responsible for the whole European, Middle East and Africa region. Um, again, I did that in, in, in my opinion, very successfully. The client was happy, the end client was happy, my employee was always happy. Um, but, you know, things move on. Um, and the more you get on your plate and the more you just accept, the more they will bring and then you keep on going. Uh, and obviously, I also have a wife and, and three kids. Uh, mm -hmm. They ask my attention as well. Sometimes you have to manage that. So at the end of the day, in 2012, 13, I decided I'd take a sabbatical. This, this, you know, I've done my bit. I was at the top of the, the, my success there. And we agreed that I would just build it off, hand it over and uh, look for another opportunity. I ended that up doing about half a year, nothing, pretty much nothing. Got bored, got annoyed at home. And I reached out again to my network in the international um, and ended up with a company called NG in France. They had an entity here in Qatar operating who approached me if I could run a project in Qatar and that is Qatar Cultural Village. That's how I came to Qatar. And again, okay. due to my networking, due to reaching out to people that I knew through my network in the facilities management, in the international, again, establishing that, um, giving that confidence. It, it, it opened the doors for me to go, you know, really into the international to, to Qatar. The only big difference was 
instead of working from my home base in the Netherlands and traveling to all these other countries that I've been, this time I was asked to really be based in Qatar. So that was quite a difference. Our kids were at the time, uh, fortunately at an age that they could understand that, you know, that it would be away for a bit longer. Uh, we'll see each other in one once every two months. It's only for a short period of time. It was a project for 10 months. So, uh, you know, but it's, it's, it's good that he wants it and it's good for us as well, because obviously yeah. you can imagine uh, we know all here in, in the Middle East, especially in Qatar, if you do a good job and you, you, you have something to offer, you have something to add, then um, you'll be paid uh, like that as well. Anyway, um, so I came to Qatar and um, I came here for 10 months and I'm here now next month for my, I've been my sixth year. And, and, you know, I think many of us recognize that once you're here only for a project, it's, it's no surprise to many people that um, you'll find yourself still being here after three, four, five years and sometimes even longer. I've been a business partner yeah. for a two week business trip 15 years ago. So right. <laughs> <laughs> he's still, and he's there you still, go. Um, there you go. Yeah, Mr. A mutual friend of ours, Mr. Ryan. Um, I think I had a bit, a bit of a longer, um, probably a longer view or, or timeline. I didn't, I didn't come out looking to sort of do five years and, and then leave. Um, I'm, I'm mm. happy with the 13 and a half years that I've got under my belt. And with everything that's going on in the country, as, as you and I have discussed on our previous calls, the, the country has evolved so rapidly. Um, it has a vision. It has a vision in 2030. Yep. Um, I often ask my guests, what, what, uh, what drew you to Qatar? What was your initial impressions mm. of Qatar? You six years and changed in Qatar. We obviously, the lifestyle, and we love the networking, the business community, but more, more importantly about Qatar as a whole, what is it that you really enjoy about living in the country? Well, you know, going back to, to this first year that I was here in 2015, my wife came only in October and I was here in April. The first time she came here and, and just a few days before, before she left, she said to me, Robert, I do understand why you, why you love to be here, because I really I love to be here. And she said the appreciation that you get from the people, the, the, the value add uh, or the added value that you bring and, and you see people being pleased from every level. The people that work for me, I had 680 people working for me, but also the, you know, my peers, the Qatari people that, that I introduced to my wife and all, the, all that feedback that you get, the positive vibes that we experienced that re and, until today. Um, yes, there's always things that, that we face. These are challenges, or it's not always going that easy as we would wish. But, um, you know, in general, the atmosphere here is, is it's ambitious. Mm. Um, we know Qatar has, has a lot to offer if you know the industries, if you know the people, and if you really are embedded into the market and the developments. Um, and that altogether, for an entrepreneur, I think, is, is a great environment to be in. Um, yeah, and from that perspective, again, I believe Qatar has is a great country to even start your business. To be honest, yes, yes, I, and I can testify yeah. to that. And it's it's much. Um, uh, my previous guest, uh, Joanna Handley, um, mm -hmm. is very much involved in, in market research and assisting in startups and the incubation opportunities that are available within Qatar. We we touched on exactly this. And, and not to repeat that, but the vision is one aspect, but it's also that becoming much easier to set up in business, whether you're working from home or limited liabilities, the partnerships are available through, exactly. through QFC. 
you've obviously seen that firsthand by having your business and, and your business interests within within Qatar. That's that's to an extent part of what you do. You help support startups and organizations yep. coming into Qatar Correct. from obviously the Netherlands. Tell us a bit more about um, th that side of your 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 business um, uh, opportunity. Yep. So, sure. So so I've always been been interested to help with startups, even when I was, was was doing my business in the Netherlands. And by the way, what I've established here, my consultancy firm is, is actually a copy paste of what I still have in the Netherlands. So um, I do have a few clients in the Netherlands that I still serve, but I'm, I'm now uh, developing the same here. And and helping startups with the, the knowledge, experience and, and the background that I have also internationally has always been a joy for me to do, to see uh, how young entrepreneurs um, have an ambition to, to achieve something, to build something, and then, you know, being part of the legacy. Uh, and that's also something that I do like as being part of my life being in Qatar. We are part of a legacy. And I, and I always stress it to people who just come to Qatar, who or sometimes even have lost it a bit by being here in Qatar for a few years and not knowing really what they want. We are all part of a legacy. We are part of building a country to you know, a, a higher level to a, a stronger economy, um, develop the infrastructure and, and you name it. So this, this is also what I'm talking about, opportunities. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm the Dutchman of the, the oh, sorry, I'm the Dutchman, I'm the chairman of the Dutch Business Council uh, since 2017. That also helped me strengthen building further on my network and on all levels, you can imagine, you know, I, I know, and, and more important, they know me, security guards that, that are in the front of the Mullah of Qatar, up to the ambassadors from, from the different countries, not only in Europe, but also outside of Europe, um, and, and the local dignitaries from the different ministries and, and, and other um, uh, uh, government organizations. Um, and, and the good thing there is that um, we all share the same, uh, the same views, that is that Qatar has enough to offer uh, for us to, to be here for a couple of years, to help, you know, if you find the right ways and you're, you're lucky enough maybe, but anyway, to, to make some of your dreams coming true. Um, and, and that really, I think, is, is something that uh, Qatar has to offer to, to entrepreneurs. And I thought about, you mentioned about the National Vision 2030. Um, obviously, so many people around the world, but also here, are focused on the World Cup that's coming next year. But what we also know is that after 2022, there's, there's still, Qatar is still there. The world is still turning and running, you know, and and we know that there's a lot of other projects already on the agenda for after 2022, especially because Qatar has now won also the Asian Games in 2030. So the future doesn't stop after the World no. Games 2022, and no. and this is something that people need to realize. So that with that, also the opportunities will not stop. And then I want to go back to the networking. What is so important there is. Um, for those and, and yourself as well, Simon, being here in country for such a long time is obvious that you have to build network, which takes time. You have to be patient. It takes time to build trust and confidence. Um, Qatar, uh, as small as it is, it's got a great exposure worldwide, not only because of the World Cup, but we should not forget it's the largest or one of the largest LNG exports companies in the world. Yes, it's a very rich country, uh, but it doesn't mean that they just spend the money on everything they from my opinion from what i've seen they they spend it wisely they invest it wisely um they're quite conservative these days on how they spend it how they invest it and they're still interested to invest money 
but it obviously has to be a win-win situation. Um, so I think, again, going back to what has Qatar to offer, it's a lot. And for that reason, not only for that reason only, but definitely for that reason as well, is for me, it's still a reason to be here and, and you know, yeah. looking to the next three to five years being here and build and add, you know, to that building that legacy. It's, it's funny because you speak about the World Cup and we obviously know the next 18 months, it's, it's going to be a, a mad dash and, and there'll be opportunities as, as we, again, have discussed over the over the next um, 18 months and even just beyond the World Cup when there's obviously uh, the, the event is finished and, and the country needs to go back to normal uh, in essence and you know put the pieces back in place. Yeah. Um, I, I find it quite surprising the amount of people that they're using the World Cup as a target and they think or they're assuming yep. that there won't be anything left after the World Cup. I mean, the first and foremost, the people that are here that may leave because their company is moving on to the Women's World Cup in 2023 in, in Australia and New Zealand, and they're moving on as the event is moving on. Yes, they might leave. There might be some, you know, some work in order to reinstate various commercial spaces, and, and there might be a, a, a mini exodus of, of companies and people. But as you said, 2030 Asian Games, uh, you look at the new trains coming online uh, and being developed um, up in, up in Ras Lafan. Uh, I do find it surprising a lot of people potentially, potentially, I'm sure, sure it won't be as, as many as, mm. as we think, that potentially leaving in, in 2023. Um, you, you said just now that Qatar are, I think they're a very shrewd uh, country when it comes to investing their money. Mm. You don't be yep. buying up um, the, uh, the assets that they have in, in London uh, without doing yep. the due diligence. And, you know, they've got the money to do that, unlike many other any other countries and, and London's a fairly safe bet, but they've obviously had to pivot uh, a little bit as many other businesses, a lot of other businesses and entrepreneurs and networkers like you and I have had to do in the last sort of um, uh, 15, 15 or so months. Qatar had to do that as a country. What was your biggest challenge last year and how did you pivot uh, in business by not being able to network and meet as many people? Right. So my biggest challenge, I have to say, is that I was uh, locked out of the country <laughs> because I came back on 16th of March from the Netherlands, struggling after being having done the treatment with my wife in Sri Lanka. I went back to the Netherlands and then on the 16th, I traveled back to Qatar, knowing that they announced that they would close the borders on the 18th due to the COVID pandemic. Um, but what we did not realize, and I definitely did not, was that at the time I was in the plane in the evening traveling and about to land, the government already had decided to close the borders immediately. So as soon as I landed, um, I was informed I had to, get, <laughs> to go back to, the, to the, 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 the service desk and book a, a flight, the first flight back to the Amsterdam the next day, next morning. So I traveled back to Amsterdam on, on uh, March 17th and I've been out of country until October 15th. Now, during that period of time, again, being an entrepreneur and being a true entrepreneur, as I would say, you never stop thinking, okay, what's next or, or, and, and, and what can I do? So obviously already had the idea to build my own company in Qatar. I've started to reach out to the QFC, Qatar Financial Center, uh, registered myself and, and you know, went through all the steps to, to establish my company. But in the meantime, just registering your company, that's not it, that's, it's not ending there. So I built my website, I, I kept maintaining my network because as I said, networking is not just reaching out to people, give your business card, you've got your name and such, such, such and, and tell them what you can do. No, you have to maintain a relationship to build it. You have to kind of uh, show the them uh, that you're there. Kind exactly. And, and 
working. <laughs> Sorry? Sorry? Then the title of networking. You don't just hand out exactly, your business. Exactly, exactly. People to come to you. Precisely. So, yeah, so you, you have to really maintain that. And especially during those those days, it, it, it's been difficult for everybody, also for the Qataris. Nobody still knows actually what's going to happen, but we, we I think with the, the vaccine programs going around, we, we're a bit more reluctant to say, okay, a few months more, and then, then hopefully we go back to maybe the new normal. But last year it was really for everybody rocket science or rocket science, um, um, you know, completely unknown what's, what will happen. And, and at least every time I picked up the phone or I dropped an email to one of my contacts or, or you know, I did some mass email just to inform people where I was, what I was doing and, and with a newsletter, showing my new website, etc. I built, I even strengthened the, the network I already had. So that's what I did during that period of time. Um, also, I followed some courses and, and, and you know, the, the, the digital era that we're in. So I, I focused on digital, um, uh, digital transformation and platform strategy. I focused on artificial intelligence. All these, these new developments are already ongoing and become more and more important also here in Qatar. Let's touch on that for a second. Let's touch on that for a second. Sure. It's a good point because you were out of the country. You have yep. a five-year at the time network that you have built up and, and, it's, and, and that, that five years is kind of just at that point in which you're, you're going to go exponential. You've, you've taken your time, you've been patient, you've grown it, but you need to maintain that outgoing contact as well. And with the world being a much smaller place because of things such as digital marketing, whether it be email uh, marketing and um, education-based marketing, um, social media, which is obviously being, you know, is a big point. Podcasts, which is obviously um, what we're grateful for and why we're doing what we're doing now. And using a combination of those, I don't like to use the word easy, but what I mean, you'll understand what I mean, that it is made maintaining and growing that network and being able to keep communication or, or automating the communication with your network more possible, no matter where you are in the world. Now, if you had done that maybe 20 years ago in the 90s and you were in <laughs> Amsterdam and, and in the Netherlands and your network was in Qatar, that would have been far, far harder to do. Yes, you would have had mobile phone calls and things, but much, much harder to do then. So I'm sure you're grateful for that opportunity and you've been able to enhance your knowledge of it as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, um, what people only realize now is that um, it was actually easier in a way that people were already, they were there, they, they, they were available. There was no, actually, there was no way to hide and say, yeah, I'm on the way, on my way, this, and I'm, no, because everybody had to work from home. Everybody had to be online, you know? So thinking about that, and I've always, I've always tried to be, you know, in a way, pragmatic and, and proactive. I thought, you know, there's no excuses now not to be there. You have to pick up the phone or, you know, they're, 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 at least in the next couple of days, you have to be available for a call, right? Yeah. So yeah. It, in a way that, that made it fun as well. So, so you yeah. can imagine it's, it's um, challenging just, just trying to schedule your agenda when I'm going to speak to the guy, when I'm <laughs> going to meet, you know, on the online. So yeah, Zoom, that's what Zoom I did. Calls and Facebook calls and being late, you know, being yeah, late, yeah, yeah. A, Zoom call, a Zoom call now, <laughs> it's just not the done thing when your, your client's waiting <laughs> I'm into your meeting. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And it's not been easy, I tell you that, because, you know, I've, I've been at home 
and it was great to be with my wife and kids but I always said you know I've left the house five years ago with my principles as a dad as a husband and as an entrepreneur at that time and coming back after five years and stay at home for seven months not a short weekend or, or going out on vacation you, you you're a full member of the family again but forget your principles right because you know your daughter is suddenly from a 13 year old girl she's now a grown-up woman of 18 and she knows everything yes. so that's uh, been challenging as well at the other side but you know we, we, we survived it's been we interesting survived. That, and, and generally generally without uh, you know the, when you are traditionally going to an office when you leave the home you go to the office and you and you return home of, a, of an evening and your your wife may be the same as well that <laughs> when you turn that around in which both of you and i've i've spoken uh, in season one of tiq i i interviewed um a very very lovely man Hussam gawish uh from from hka global and he was, he was just, it was just at the start of the lockdown. It was just at the start of the pandemic. And he's working from home. The children are being homeschooled. His wife is in the other room. Everyone's sharing the internet. Everyone's sharing the device. Yeah. It, it's, you know, while it was in a, such a, a, a horrendous situation and, and we feel for everyone that suffered uh, directly or indirectly, it's, it's, it's kind of made everyone in business and in life pivot and accept different ways of working and uh, you know yeah. my, my wife still says it to me now when I work for a couple of hours from home then I'll go into the office because I need a bit more privacy she wants her space she wants her quiet time and if the children are back <laughs> in school I, I get kicked out of the house I, I, I want to do this DVD when are you going to work I, this is not normal I need to leave <laughs> and like but you've told yeah. me to spend more time with you and the kids. Now you're telling me you want to. So it's a no-win situation as, uh, you know, as, as guys. Yeah. Um, so, True. you know, we, we, all love, we all love Qatar. We all love what, um, you know, what the opportunities are. Um, yeah. Very quickly, you, you mentioned something earlier that I wanted to address, which was coming from uh, a continent and from our respected countries, uh, my hometown of Aberdeen, um, by the way, you mentioned that earlier. Okay. In, um, you come from uh, technologically advanced, uh, certainly from oil and gas perspective and, and uh, you know, fintech perspective. And you come to Qatar 13 years ago, six years ago. There's still so much opportunity because we're bringing our experience of what we are used to in Europe into Qatar. And I think Qatar has embraced that. Um, by giving yes. us, you know, people like you and I to A, set up our organizations and B, embrace the ideas that we are, which are not necessarily new ideas, but bring um, the ideas from our continent uh, here and, and help them catch up. At the end of the day, this is yeah. a region that is many, many areas are underdeveloped. They have the funds to expedite that development, uh, whether it be technology or otherwise. Uh, and that's where a lot of the opportunities come from. Now, a large part of that opportunity over the past 10 years has been the growth to be ready and expedite some of the vision, not all of it, to be ready for the World Cup. Now, I, for one, all jokes aside, Robert, just in case Scotland mm. don't make it to the World Cup next year, I'm sure you don't have that problem. I'm sure your guys will be there and I'll be there to cheer them on. Um, are we ready? We are you looking forward to the World Cup and do you think it's going to be a successful tournament? Well, I, I'm, I'm definitely ready for the World Cup. 
Are we ready today? Is Qatar ready today? No, obviously not. There's, there's still a lot to be done. And um, what we should also not forget and really appreciate is that not only us, but also Qatar has lost one year, one year of, of practicing, trying things out, um, you know, not, not the build of the, the, the stadiums, obviously, but especially all the arrangements around it. The, the, the facilities uh, have to be maintained. The facilities have to be foreseen with, with all kinds of organizations that seriously a lot of us cannot even um, think of because it is beyond our imagination what needs to be organized. So from that perspective, there's still a lot to be done and, and, and Qatar is obviously not ready. Will they be ready? Yes, I honestly believe that. I've seen Qatar and, and you know, you've been here longer, so you know that. I've seen Qatar developing over the last six years. I've, I've, I've seen them making progress in so many different areas. It's, it's amazing. It's, it's, again, beyond imagination, beyond belief. Uh, unfortunately, you can only try to share what we have experienced during, during our stay here from what we've seen, uh, not only infrastructure-wise, also from, from you know, uh, population-wise, um, and, and no surprise, from, from workers' welfare standards, uh, and it's still being being developed and still being improved. And, and you know, all these things together um, have, have made me really believe that Qatar is, is capable of, of doing this, and they will do it. They, the, the, the Arabs are proud people, and, and, and Qatari are even more proud, mm -hmm. and, and rightly so. They have all right to be proud from what I've seen that they've been capable to do. Yes, they need people like us. This is why there are so many opportunities. And unfortunately, also Qatar has suffered from COVID. That's why they have to, you know, so many people have lost their jobs here as well and left the country. But that, you know, every negative side always opens a positive side as well. You know, our old football guy, John Crive, always said, you have to get the positive out of the negative. And, and, and here the same. People have lost their jobs and they left the country, but there's also still many people still stayed and, and, and are here around. And, and as I said, the opportunities are there now. I've seen now a trend in recruiting people again, bringing them back on board. And, and that's where the opportunities are. If you have value to add, then you know there, there's enough to explore and there's enough to, 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 to do, uh, as long as you, again, go back to your network, go back to the people you know. And the network doesn't need to be as big as I have, maybe, and, and as professionals that, that, that I maintain it. But you know people, everybody knows people around them. So you just have to ask. And, and you know, that this is how it works. That's where it all starts off with. Again, I believe Qatar will be ready by 2022, for sure. It's not, it's, it's it not will a, be challenging. It's a long time, is it? Sorry? It's only, it's only uh, you know, <clears throat> officially they've got to be ready, you know, a year in advance. But, you know, let's be realistic yeah. you know, with, with all of the, and as you well know, with your facilities background, you look at the next 18 months. The next six months yeah. is going to be that period of time in which we're going to know much, much more about the issues yeah. that we've had over the past 12 months. Variants, vaccines, um, how reliable is it? Uh, can we start to open the borders and things like this? So let's take September, which is always a, a pivotal month in the calendar year for, um, for the Middle East in general, because now that obviously Ramadan is, is much earlier in the year, that was around about August when I arrived, it's now April. You've then obviously got the summer because of the heat and a lot of people, um, expat families, certainly the children and the wives will tend to leave for the summer. And then of course the school year starts, so everyone then floods back in. That This September, September 2021, is probably gonna be the most pivotal September because it's 12 months. If you look at the end of September 2022, they have to be ready. All of the broadcasters are going to come in. 
all of the all of the overlay structures are going to need to be ready. Hospitality is going to be. Fan zones are going to have to be ready. And then they will come in and they will start. They'll, they'll be doing this much earlier, of course. But all of the dress rehearsals will be well underway by that September. I mean, it's going to be still a little bit warm and the humidity is going to be there. But the next 18 months are, are absolutely crucial. I totally agree with you. I think that um, the stadiums look amazing. Uh, I'd love to... I'd love I mean, the drive, one, one TIQ TV that I'm definitely going to do is, uh, is I'm going to drive from uh, Albait Stadium in Alcor right the way down to probably Rasa Buabud, maybe even Wakra, and just take yep. all of them. The route is obviously going to be a bit disjointed, but I, I honestly think within about 90 minutes, you can cover all of the stadia uh, that, that's going to be participating in the World Cup, which is, which is crazy. And we'll try and get some uh, some calls on uh, on the podcast, you know, throughout that journey. But I think it'll be quite interesting for people to understand just how compact this World Cup yeah. is is going to be. But yes, the next six months gives us that transition, gives us that understanding and the information. And then, boy, September twenty one to September twenty two, it's going to be a roller coaster of let's get ready. Oh yes, and, and oh I, yes. And I, you know and. and- what we should take into account, and, and again, no, not many people, especially not people not being in Qatar or have been in Qatar, knows that if you go back to 2016, that was a year where, where uh, Qatar was made aware of budgets and, and budget constraints, and, and it really started to sink in, and governments decided to cut budgets with 25%. And soon after that, June 20, uh, 2017, the blockade kicked in. Mm. And if you take it from that moment onwards, and, and, and really, Qatar was scrutinized in, in, in many ways. And if you've seen what, if, if, if we, we, what we've seen, how Qatar has dealt with the situation, how they fought themselves out of, the, of this difficult period of time and still delivered what they had to deliver, still looked after the people living in Qatar and not only living and working in Qatar, not only Qatari, the whole community. They, they continued working towards their National Vision 2030. And you notice I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of Qatar because I see what, what, what people are doing. There's a lot of things that can be better done. There's a lot of things that need, still need to be improved. But as I said, you know, the other day to my wife as well, yes, we face a lot of challenges, but don't forget the same challenges or similar challenges you face in Europe. We similar challenge and even bigger challenge you face in the US. And they also survive. Mm. It's just that we, need to understand we all have the same objective. We want to have a World Cup that's going to be successful. It's going to be joy. It's going to bring, you know, uniting uh, people together. And that's what we should be aiming for. And I think that, you know, with the right mindset, we can only be part of this. Of anyone that had to pivot over the past five years, um, 10 if you include a partial recession because of their interests in in Europe. But let's look at the last five years in particular, or say 2017. Qatar have had to do that and they and they weren't allowed you know FIFA I would imagine wouldn't have allowed them to take their foot off the pedal no matter what the local disputes were so they had to pivot they had to bring things in country they had to set up manufacturing plants uh, for for dairy products and various that they had to use look at alternatives for imports that that import costs went up then you throw in a pandemic as well three years later (laughs) exactly exactly you're able to resolve the first problem, which is great news for everyone because no one wanted the disputes. I think it was a normal way of yep. life up until the point of which uh, you, you may have been closer to the, to the action and, and knew more about it. But I, for one, didn't expect it to... I think I kind of expected something to resolve itself prior to the World Cup. 
I think it would have been a little bit silly for, for the UAE in mm. particular and, and for, for Saudi Arabia to not be involved in the World Cup. Yeah. Uh, they realized that their, their tactics or their, uh, their ways were not going to drive Qatar to submission because we stood firm. We did. We stood firm with, with uh, His Excellency Sheikh Tamim. Uh, and he did a, he, you know, he performed a great role. Now everyone is, um, everyone is speaking again. Everyone's friends again, and everyone can, can, uh, can relish, uh, you know, relish the World Cup and, um, and, you know, be a part of it. And those looking That's to sweet. visit Dubai and the UAE, which I think is fairly obvious, are able to fly in. Hopefully, with with the flights, you know, being more regular than they are now, they can fly into mm -hmm. the World Cup within an hour. I mean, if you look at Russia. Flights were five, six hours between matches. So flying into the Middle East was always going to be a Qatar and beyond requirement. And, yeah. and I think it's a positive that we've managed to manage to resolve that. It's absolutely, absolutely. And again, you know, um, His Highness has, has shown great leadership. And and yes, they, they you know, Qatar realizes and they acknowledge they can learn still a lot from the international world, from the Europeans and, and, and beyond. Uh, but on the other way, on, on the other hand, I think we can learn a lot from from Qatar as well. How they stand up during the blockade, how they have worked around all these these uh, yeah, blockades in general. Now with the COVID, with the pandemic, how they've managed that, and again keep on the pace, going not only to the World Cup but also towards the National Vision 2030. Again, um, I think the, the world will be much opener and opener for everybody, so we can learn more from each other. And more from what happens here in Qatar, because it, yeah, it, it, it's for me it's been very exemplary. Exemplary. Yeah, it's done a it's done a great job. Um, just yep. to quickly round off, um, Robert. Just to quickly round off. Uh, yep. We've spoken about business. We've spoken about uh, the twenty thirty vision and um, that, that Qatar has managed to achieve. What is it that is? What was your opinion on Qatar for expats? I've always, I've always believed that Qatar is. It's, we know it's a safe place. Mm. We know the lifestyle is very nice. Uh, but it's more than nice. It's wonderful. We have sunshine, you know, more than three hundred days a year. Um, yes, the temperature rises, but you could look at the temperature back in Scotland of being minus fifteen. It's no different to a hot temperature, and, and you can't do anything. <laughs> so, what is it that excites people about Qatar? Um, for expats and uh, people thinking about, because I see many people looking and contemplating coming to Qatar because they've been offered a position and they reach out on social media within the relevant mm. asking for that advice. If people wanted some advice because they wanted to come to Qatar, what would your two or three key tips be uh, in, in coming to Qatar? Right. First, well, my first advice would be do your homework. Read, read about Qatar, not only at one, from one book, but as many as you can, for the simple reason that books are being written from, from people's personal opinions and personal views. And um, one will have written down how close the community is and, and there are so many restrictions and because it's a Muslim country, you know, you can't do anything and this is not love. And there will be others who have experienced it completely the other way around. If I would write a book, I would say, listen, it is the safest place in the world. And at the same time, you can live your life here as free as you like, as long as you stick to the rules that the country has. But uh, that comes for every country. If I go to Europe, if I go to the Netherlands, where I hail from, I cannot just, you know, do whatever I like. I have to, um, you know, obey the, 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 the law and the, and the regulations that are there. It's no difference here. But only that, because the religion may 
have more impact on the, on, on the laws. It doesn't mean that we notice that every day. I've never experienced it for the last six years, ever. So, you know, like you said, it's a great life here in Qatar. You can make good money. Um, and yes, we have most of the days we have sun, but there's one thing, you need to be sure that you add value because that's, that's really, um, it's not only that the country expects you to add value, it, it, you have to be satisfied yourself as well. You have to have that feeling to, to be able to stay here for a longer period of time. If you feel that, you know, you, you come to Qatar and you have no clue what to do, then this is not the place for you. And over the last six years, I've only had one lady who came here for an internship. And already after one month and a half, she said, I'm going to go home because this is not my place. Really, really very straightforward. Only one person in six years. And she was an, 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 um, uh, here only for her um, uh, internship. So, you know, it's, it's, it's really um, be prepared, prepare yourself, read a lot, uh, look at documentaries. Um, that's definitely one of one of the tips that I would give to people. Um, another tip, um, if you're ambitious enough, um, when you come to Qatar, explore the opportunities that the country has, not only from a career point of view, but also the landscape. Qatar has developed a lot, but from the, and the nature of, of the country, you will be surprised what it's got to offer. And, and um, Discover Qatar is, is part of Qatar Airways. They organize those, those trips. These days, they, they're coming with a cruise ship to, to, to where you can explore the, the shores of Qatar. Uh, it's got the largest uh, whales, um, uh, how do you say, the population here in Qatar, in the, in the Qatar waters. So you, you will be amazed and you will be, you never expect that. And, you know, on the other side of the country, you see dolphins. I was, uh, two weeks ago, was at the, the new Saba Beach Resort. And you look over the waters towards Ara uh, Saudi Arabia, you see dolphins jumping out of the water. And then in between, there's so much more to explore. So again, um, also from a tourism perspective, which is, by the way, also one of those topics that Qatar is further developing, is the tourism. Um, I think there, there's a lot that this country has to offer uh, to, to people that are planning to come here, whether they come here for a job or they want to come here just to, to see what it is and how it's like. Yeah. Again, combine it with a visit for the World Cup. I think nobody will be disappointed. Nobody. No, 100% agree. 100%. And that's why we love it so much. It's, uh, it's a, it's a close community. It's great for families. It's, it's got fantastic uh, tourism and facilities and, and obviously the, 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 the way of life um, that we really enjoy. Yep. Um, Robert, honestly, thank you so much. Um, I really enjoyed our, our discussion. We'll have you, uh, hopefully have you back on the show again. I wish you all the success. I hope 2021 is a, a fantastic year for you and your, and your contacts, your clients, and of course your, your business. Um, Robert Katz, stay on the line just for a second. We'll touch base. This has been sure. TIQ TV. Thank you to my guest, uh, Robert Katz, and we will see you next time.